you know what? Damn, so far, I don't think we either of us have gone to the same brewery twice to kick things off. I'm not. I'm. I, I might have uh, messed up there because I might have done Great Lakes a couple of times, but I don't know for sure. It's possible. But tonight, I don't have something dark and stormy. Look at how light oh this is. Oh my god, are you getting a little bit, um, is that a lager? It is a lager, um, and only because I love the can. Uh, obviously, people can't see it, but it's called the Runner Duck, and it's from a uh, common good brewery. I don't, they're tiny. Like, I don't think they're, uh, even in the LCBO in Ontario, they have a lot, had a lot of guest brews there, I guess, to sort of pay the bills. But now they're really cramping or ramping up their variety. They're in, they're in Scarborough. Um, and I love that there are a bunch of ducks on the can. And apparently uh, they give their leftover mash to their friends at Apricot Valley Waterfowl. And their Indian runner ducks are laying more eggs as a result. So beer is doing some good in this world. So you got all these, you got all these drunken ducks just running around, just laying eggs everywhere. I, hey, I guess it sets the mood. It's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> well, I this is it. Is it good? Is it nice? So we had a little sip there. It's not bad. And what do you have? I have a, a Belgian beer. I have a Guden Carolus. I'm showing it. In, I'm showing it in the uh, in the video now. Obviously, this is making fantastic podcast content. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's by a brewery called Hops and Jewel. I don't know. I just pulled it out of the fridge really quickly, and I haven't had a I've never read it seen like usually. Usually, it's the Abbey beers from brewery or from Belgium. But uh, our beer has nothing to do with our topic tonight. Tonight we are going to tonight today. Whenever you're listening to us, uh, we are going to France. I was there. More importantly, our guest was there. Uh, if you've read any coverage of Canadian women's soccer, women's soccer in general, you've probably read her stuff. Harji, Joe Hall, welcome. Hey guys, how's it going? Thank you very much for having me. Those beers look delicious. Of course, you're on the West Coast, so you're being sensible uh, and good on you. Uh, now, Har, you uh, pretty much were at the Women's World Cup a couple of years ago, 2019, uh, just about start to finish. Uh, we're going to Grenoble where I was there, we were there for Canadian women's game. Now, of all the of all the destinations you you went to, uh, does Grenoble rank up there? Because I had a great time. I just thought Grenoble was so beautiful. It was fantastic with the mountains and just being at the games and seeing the backdrop. It was a picturesque postcard with the gondola in the city. It was easy to walk about. It was um, quite nice everywhere. People were friendly as they as they are in that region. So yeah, I thought Grenoble was fantastic, and I was so glad that we got to go there uh, to cover a Canada game. I got to cover two games in in that city, so it was fantastic and definitely a highlight. Uh, a city I would have otherwise not been able to visit if not for the the, the tournament. Was you, you mentioned you went back for another game? Canada wasn't involved in that one. No, it, this was before. Um, the the Canada game, so I'd have to go back and check to see who was. <laughs> but yeah, so when we were there, there was there was a good solid crew there. There was you, me. There was Derek Van Deest. There was Neil Davidson, who you know is is the godfather of Canadian soccer media. Uh, TSN had a crew there. Uh, it was nice to uh, to have some company, wasn't it? It was very nice. You could literally fit us at one table. I mean, there was. You know, four of us writers and the TSN crew that was there. Um, there was the FIFA reporter that was there covering Canada as well. 
it was a quite a small close-knit group so we got to hang out a lot and have dinners together and have many refreshments in the evening together so that was that was great and it was it was very fun to see that and experience that with fellow Canadians. I know just covering the tournament, you see like Sweden and Germany and England and the USA. I mean, they have 50 and 60 reporters and we can count ours on maybe two hands. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, just, um, I know it's like normally a bit of a skiing resort around there, but, you know, also in the summer, it must be still beautiful when, you know, you got the confluence of two rivers. It's at the foot of the, uh, you know, the Alps and stuff like that. Is it still quite a touristy place in the world or did it just seem to have a bit of an energy because the World Cup was on? Um, to be fair, I don't I think there was there was kind of tons of energy there. I mean, I think we were there when I saw the Canada game there. They were playing New Zealand and it was kind of the weather was kind of dodgy. So there was a fan zone set up, but it was dead empty. Um but, uh, you know, not far away, you mentioned the Alps. I got to give a shout out. I fulfilled sort of a lifelong dream. And that was really the main reason I was in Grenoble was to go up to the Alpe d'Huez. So uh, Canada just played in Montpellier. And I had done a, a radio uh, sort of setup piece for, for the world this weekend on CBC. Um, and I wanted to stick around a little bit to to do that and so after i took the, i took a bus from montpellier to to grenoble and then continued on i stayed in le bourg d'oison which is at the foot of the the alpes and there i mean if you're a cyclist which i don't know how many people who have listened to this are um it's a cyclist dream there were cycling groups there from all over the world uh, a guy from norway came up behind me and we chatted oddly enough about hockey he was a hockey fan but there were brits americans um and and yeah and then coming back into grenoble um it, it almost felt just sort of you know kind of normal city like it got busier at night i remember i think hard there was there was a square there where you know there were plenty of people out for a drink yeah, there was the square, um, there was a whole bunch of restaurants, uh, bistros, places to go. Uh, what sticks out in kind of my mind is that the first night that we that we got there, myself, Neil Davidson, Derek Van Deest, we had come up from Montpellier on the train, and, you know, it's late, and, you know, we're hungry, we want to get a, a nice meal in, watch some w women's football, and so we got into this restaurant in the square. I think it was just two of us, and then uh, the third party joined us. And it was the night, I believe, that the U.S. played Thailand and just absolutely oh smoked them and <laughs> ran up the score. I, I know our American listeners will agree with that. But it was absolutely pouring buckets that night. It was raining sideways all over the place. It was about 15, 16 Celsius. And I, I thought, oh, my God, it's summertime. And this is Vancouver in November weather right here. And... And then we go in to have our dinner, and I'm so hungry, I want to watch the game, have a nice meal. And I ordered, I believe, steak tartare, and I, I get the steak, and I'm thinking, oh, I get a nice, delicious steak to dig into. Not quite. Uh, it's not that. <laughs> and I had a fried egg on top, and I was less than pleased. And as I learned throughout the tournament, uh, if you think you're ordering one specific food, you may be getting something else. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously the French are just incredible at food they do it properly over there I mean you know, what did you have over there Gav are you tucking into a little bit of duck or anything like that I wasn't um, I think I'd introduced hard of the French taco in Montpellier which I don't think was your favorite but it was mine it's it's the ultimate drunk food and Grenoble apparently is one of the spots that claims to have owned it along with I believe Lyon but I mean it's 
it's you take tortilla and then you put you know you can put kebab meat you can put i think i always had you know some sort of breaded fried chicken um and then you know some really good sauces and then they're you know sort of like a kebab but then it's like shaped like a square and they put it i think in a panini press and I mean, I, I wish they were popular in Canada. I think the Otaka, which is one of the brands, is now in New York City. Um, but, I mean, if you're drinking, it's it's just fantastic. Um, other than that, I think then I was being really frugal, and I'd just go out and get you know, myself a cheap bottle of wine, uh, you know, bread, cheese. There was an indoor market near me and all these just local cheese makers, and you know, I'd chat with them about you know, what was good, and they'd come back with just these little rounds of goat cheese, which were just outstanding. And then um, I think I had made something with, uh, like, what was it, forest asparagus, which looked completely different from our usual asparagus, and I was curious about it, and I cooked with that, and uh, I think by then I was just cooking on my own, so I wasn't much going out unless it was for French tacos, but uh, I don't know, Har, what were you having by then? Okay, Gavin, I don't know where you were going or what kind of food repertoire you had going on in France, but I didn't have any of that. There was no trips to the market to get nice little cheeses and little sandwiches and uh, asparagus and all that. I mean, I remember coming back to the games at, you know, two in the morning and having yogurt for dinner. So I wasn't experiencing <laughs> what you did. I do remember when we went for the O tacos in Montpellier, we brought them back to the Canada Hotel. And again, I was not pleased with the food. I do not think that crisps should be inside a, a taco, a burrito. <laughs> And so I, I did not fancy that, and yeah, that was another uh, pitiful food decision. But yeah, I did not have the, the food uh, tour that you did through, uh, throughout the tournament. Did, did you say there are, there are crisps inside this taco? Yes. I believe there can be, yeah. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, um, not a, yeah, well, I mean, your standard, you know, kebab, you, you, which you can get all over Europe, or shawarma here, you can get with, with fries inside too. Oh, okay. I thought, like, because I was about to think, you know, I thought you meant, like, you know, when I sometimes make a sandwich at home, I'll make a nice ham and cheese butty and put some, I don't know, some salt and vinegar, Miss, Miss Vicky's in there or something like that, give it a bit of crud. I, oh, yeah, no, not those kind of chips, but, like, fries. Okay, I'm from the land of uh, chip, yeah. chip butty, so I'm all over that. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I have some chips in that for sure. I'm pretty sure Pittsburgh do something like that as well. There's, like, a, a famous shop there where you get... Um, fries inside of inside a buddy i don't know hey man it works it works for me yeah absolutely works for me as well i mean can you get this kind of nosh inside the, inside the ground as well like i remember it being basic like ultimately basic hot dogs or like, like in sausages the press box in like the, the cafe that they had or do you mean yeah i think I, I think i went stands? down i think i went to the concessions and you know it was your very basic disappointing stuff no i didn't go to the concession stands i mean it would take it an hour just to go up and around and down and around oh, yeah. and through with and back to my seat. I remember they had a cafe set up in like the press dining area in some of the venues, not all of the venues and not at the start of the tournament. And, you know, if you were able to get there on time before the food was all gone, I mean, you got some good food, some decent food. I remember in one city, uh, it was so hot by the end of the tournament. It was 40 Celsius. I mean, the train tracks were melting in the country. <laughs> And I arrived at the stadium, and I just wanted this nice, cold bottle of water. There was a bottled water uh, refrigeration thing in the press room. Of course, all the water is warm, so I take one of the warm bottles, I go to the cafe, and I say, can I kind of exchange this, switch this for one of your cold bottles? 
And so, of course, no, I have to pay for the cold water. I can drink the warm water that's been sitting there all day, but if I want cold, that's going to cost me. That is harsh. That is really harsh. I mean, I mean, and talk me through the stadium itself, because you alluded to it before, Gav, that it's got beautiful views and stuff. It also looks really fascinating architecturally as well. Um, just a nice little ground, like if you could just describe that. I remember it was beautiful. You could see it, kind of, you can see it maybe a little bit peeking through the city. It was close to kind of the city center, so I remember walking there a couple of times. I know you can take the tram there. It was just, you know, breathtaking. I think we had to go around and kind of through to get to the press entrance, but then once you you know, climb up to the press box, the beautiful mountains in the backdrop. Um, art- architecturally, it's a beautiful design, I thought. You know, it's, it's, there's, it doesn't look like there's a bad seat in the stadium to watch the match. So, yeah, I would recommend even if you're in France, just go see, you know, a French football game there. It, it was fantastic. And I thought, you know, it was one of the marquee stadiums that we all got to go and see. I know John Tannewald from Philly, uh, who we've had on before. He, I guess, I think he's a fan of the Grenoble men's team, and he's wanted to get a kit for a while. And apparently, it's impossible to get in North America. But had I known at the time, I might have tried to go looking for him for him. But one one thing that I know is really cool, Har, is the. Um, uh, is the cable car that we can see it from the stadium, and I think the nickname is the Bool, and it was each each city had their own logo, and that was the one for there. And at the stadium, each each stadium had their own like little collectible Coca Cola cups that you could get, and that is the one I came home with. Apparently, some of them even said like the game number, but um, I you I hiked up, you got and then came down with you. Um, was it easy? Like, what was the ease to get on on the way up? Because I remember it was easy coming down. It was easy. There was maybe one person in front of us. There was no lineup. And I walked there. I met Derek there, and then we took the the tram uh, up to the top of to see the Grenoble from down below. Yeah, it was easy to get to. I don't think it cost very much. We may have even been able to use our FIFA passes to get on there. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. I remember going over, you know, the mountains, and there was maybe an abandoned school or some kind of some kind of architectural thing that was kind of run down or whatever and so i remember seeing that it was a cloudy day kind of overcast so it wasn't the beautiful sunshine it was kind of in between is it going to rain is it going to be sunny and yeah the view from up top was fantastic and i'm so glad that we got to go up on the gondola i mean you raced up the mountain so you met us there in no time flat so yeah it was great <laughs> that we got to do that I remember it was a humid day and I was sort of soaked by the by the top of it. And it, it was then, I think when we were on that, just sort of looking around that we were reading a few of those signs. And I it just I hadn't even realized that they were an Olympic host once upon a time. I think it was the the nineteen sixty eight Olympics and it was just sort of I think I remember standing there being like now, where would things have gone? Like, I couldn't remember, you know, I think venues, sort of mountain events were held, you know, off a little bit. But, yeah, it was sort of weird. Like, it didn't look like it was, you know, your typical Olympic city in my mind. Of course, it had been a while, but it was a small city. Oh, yeah, it was definitely small. I, I mean, it wasn't like a, I don't even think it's one of the biggest cities in France. And so once kind of the restaurants shut down and, you know, it's it's pretty empty. So, uh yeah there was not a lot of people i think maybe the tourists that were there were just there to see uh the women's world cup i don't know that a lot of other people 
go and see it. Maybe it's a more populous place in the wintertime. I don't know, but yeah, I thought it was great that we got to go and check it out. And yeah, Wikipedia says it's only about 150,000 people, so it's not a big spot at all. And, um, you know, I'm kind of I'm surprised that Jonathan's have found a Grenoble for, uh, you know, it, they didn't really have an incredible football history. They've produced a few good players like Yuri Jorkiev, Olivier Giroud, Gus Poyet, and uh, less impressively, Sofiane Figuli. Um, but, uh, like, otherwise, it's, I feel like it's a bit more of a rugby town. Um, that's what kind of what I've always thought about it. I think they've got one of the oldest teams there. So, you know, were that many people bothered about having a big football event in the town? I remember it being, it was it was 15,000, and, you know, in a 20,000-seat stadium. I remember it being, you know, fine. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't doing much work at that point, but, you know, I was asked you know, by one outlet who I've done some stuff for. And it was just like, because I think people had been complaining about organizers not really caring or, or there were some issues with that. And I remember at one point, just, I think it was Sophie Schmidt. I'm like, have you guys felt like, you you know, like what's the feeling? And she was just like, it's fine. Like we've had a good time. I don't know what else they were going to say, but, um, you know, it felt, you know, well enough supported. I mean, I wouldn't say it was fervor, but I, I don't know what your impression was, Har. I kind of felt that it was maybe hard to know that there was a FIFA Women's World Cup going on, not even in Grenoble, but most of the, the venues, the cities that were hosting games. I didn't think there was enough signage. I didn't maybe think there was enough happening in the fan zone. I, I remember being in one city and they, they were still building and constructing the fan zone while the tournament had already been on undergoing for a while. So I think it could have been better. I remember going out to cover the Team Canada practice, and I think we were all sequestered in our, our little, uh, the little change room with a very bad Wi-Fi, and you know you wouldn't know that you know Team Canada is practicing you know in Grenoble or just outside the city in this beautiful backdrop. I mean, unless you kind of saw the team buses with the logos parked outside the hotels or the training pitch, you'd be hard pressed to know that the tournament was going on. So. For the fans and the people that live in those cities, I, I would like to think that they bought tickets and they went and saw some games, but I wouldn't say it was a raucous, rocking, crazy, you know, really well-together crowd. I think they supported the games that they had, but I wouldn't say that they the cities went out of their way to kind of make it a big, huge uh, deal that it really should be. I, I do remember... Um, walking to the stadium because it was right near where the the Airbnb where I was staying. I think I walked by the library and I think they had, you know, it was like they had a banner advertising like, yes, we have the World Cup, but read up on the history of women's soccer in France. I was kind of like, well, that's something. That's kind of cool. And But, you know, compare it to 2015 and you can't. I mean, you know better than anyone how, you know, crazy that one was. Yeah, it was definitely night and day. <laughs> now, it's a surprise that they didn't make more of a fuss for it because obviously, you know, France, as European countries go, is a little bit more advanced with women's football. And, you know, Lyon is such a marvellous team as well. Um, I'm surprised they didn't make a bit more of a fuss of it. I mean, were there quite a lot of travelling fans at the game you went to? I would say there was in terms of the, the Canadian fans. I met Canadian fans in, you know, all, all, all the cities where we... We got to watch them play. Maybe not Paris, because Paris is so big. But yeah, I met friends in you know Montpellier, in the courtyard, having a few beers with them before or after the game. 
uh, I remember seeing Canadian fans, you know, they would post the Voyagers, where they're going to meet up and, you know, get together. So you'd go and say hello, and you'd, hey guys, you know, enjoy the game, and you'd kind of chat with them for a little bit. And, yeah, I think from that perspective, yeah, there's Canadian fans, but I think, you know, Canadian fans, we travel well, but we're nowhere near the level that you have, whether it be U.S. or Netherlands or England or Sweden. I mean, those countries are also a lot closer, so it's easier for them to travel. So I think there were Canadian fans, but maybe not in a huge, a huge way that you might see with other nations. I, I do remember... Um... Uh, not long after, where was it? It might have been Montpellier, but I do remember that that there were American fans just about everywhere, and they they did, especially in Paris, they did travel in numbers. We went to I went to one game against Chile right before I left, and that one was was pretty raucous. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sort of picture that. And the Canadians, as you mentioned, they did travel quite well. They were quite noisy. I think there were a few Kiwis. Um, because yeah, that was obviously the opponent, Jesse Fleming and Michelle Prince scoring for Canada that day. Um, but it was it was it, I got the vibe that there were people who were genuinely curious about. It. I mean, if you mentioned France, Dan. Um, I think if France was playing, it would have been packed because that team really does draw wherever they play at home in France. But you know, it's sort of your general kind of like any World Cup, women's World Cup, where men's or women's, where if it's, you know, two teams that aren't the hosts or where anyone really has any skin in the game, they'll they'll draw, but it might not be spectacular. Did you take did you take the uh the public transportation out to the training ground? I may have taken an Uber to get there, or maybe with some with another reporter. I think I did take the tram back. I just remember it because like I that, that training ground I think it was at the university. Uh, the day I was there, it was one of the nicest days. It was just a postcard of, postcard you know. Of, it was so yeah. beautiful. I saw photos That's, of it on my phone. Oh, yeah. my God. It's breathtaking. Yeah. I remember we were looking around the mountains, and I think we spotted, like, a little – one of those stereotypical, like, meadows at the top of the mountain where there were no trees. And we'd be like, oh, there's, you know, a tree to sit under. And anyway, uh, I asked about the public transportation because that – that's what I took. And I, I've regaled Dan with my freelancing adventures. And, you know, I – like the tram went right there and you're going through this beautiful, you know, the Rhone, you know, the Rhone Alps of France, uh, countryside, not quite countryside, but through the town. And it was so convenient and, you know, of course, affordable. And yeah, that's the part of the joy about going to France is that a lot of cities, it's, it's so easy to get around. I remember distinctively going to the New Zealand practice, which I underestimated how far it was. I thought maybe I could take a tram to a certain area and then kind of walk, but then, I don't know, the tram wasn't running, or maybe it was a Saturday, or I don't know, so I thought, oh, it doesn't look so big on the map, I'll just walk there, so I walked, <laughs> and I walked, and I walked, and went all around, and then kind of over a bridge, and kind of along a highway, and then kind of through a trail in a forest, and then up and over, and then there was some kind of <laughs> some kind of park and athletic center, and they were training on one of the pitches in there. So I found it, and so you know I got my interviews done, got some quotes, and I I really didn't want to walk back. So 
<laughs> I, I, I think you maybe remember Amy. She was there covering it for, I believe, maybe a Spanish outlet. I'm not quite sure. And so they're like, we'll give you a ride. And I'm like, oh, God, thank you. I don't have to walk back. <laughs> so they're driving along, and then we're going past the route that I took. And they're like, wait, you walked all the way here? I'm like, no, no, no. See that way down over there? <laughs> That's where I walked from. <laughs> It does sound like a beautiful place to water in general, and obviously, Gav, you know, it sounds like you explored a little bit. Did you um, did you scratch that nature itch while you were there? Not particularly. My part was my part was my bike. Um, you know, it's kind of cool where uh, you know when I get up to the top of the Alpe d'Huez, um, you know, they advertise twenty-one switchbacks on the way up. There's actually 22 um, because there's they count down and then you get down to one and then there's like a, like a hey you did it but then you keep going and you do the official Tour de France and and there is a switchback zero and you only know it if you read up about it in advance and so I you know I did it and that's when I just sort of sat got a few pictures soaked it in um, and then I went back down to the fake finish line and I sat. And, uh, you know, I had, a, you know, again, surrounded by cyclists from all over the world who were doing it. Um, and I think I actually woke my wife up phoning her being like, hey, I did it. <laughs> and she was like, OK, fine. I'm going back to bed um, in that exact tone of voice, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had my, my bowl of soup, my bread, and I was just sort of sitting, enjoying it. And I got a, a, a polka dot jersey T-shirt for the King of the Mountains. And then when we were in the press con- the news conferences day before the game, uh, Canadian coach Kenneth Heather Muller walks in and he goes, like that and he's like what which, which mountain i'm like Alpe duez and he's like oh yeah and then tom sermani who had i actually known because he was uh, an assistant once upon a time to uh to john herdman you know he recognized me we said hello and he's like i like that i went yeah thank you i uh you know i, I earned it <laughs> sorry does this so does he you know i don't my knowledge of the tour de france is terrible but i watch it on tv occasionally just because it's the scenery so beautiful but does it pass through grenoble quite a bit it um not quite a bit. It, the route changes every year, and it's actually been several years that the Alpe d'Huez hasn't been on the route. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Grenoble did recently have a stage starter finish. And what was cool about um, the 2019 is that you know my work was my work was done. Like I was just messing around and you know annoying the real journalists like Car there. Um, and so. When I was after Canada trained, not far away, literally one stop was a town called Voiron. And there is a major, major Tour de France warm up race called uh, the, the Dauphiné, the Criterium du Dauphiné. It's a stage race. Pretty much all the big names are there. And so it's like, you know what? I'm going to go. And so I hop on the train. It being France, it was easy. I get off. I walk around. Um, and it was so cool. Uh, you know, I, you see the, the the sprint finish, uh, you know, actually just sort of snapped a few pictures of guys coming down. I'm like, oh, there's there's some big names in this race. And I remember quickly befriending um, the physio of one of the teams who had a Canadian on it and sort of the hopes that I'd get to get to chat with them. And what was extra cool is that all the teams have their buses 
and fans can just walk up and down and kids were getting water bottles handed to them after the race and, you know, some, some bidon that they were using. Um, and you know, there are all these ridiculously expensive bikes and guys would do quick warm downs and then, you know, hop on the bus and they drive to their hotels. So that, that was cool. Uh, it was really, because that was my first time sort of being in that. I, I used to race in BC at a very low level once upon a time, but being around that kind of environment was, was really quite neat. But, um, yeah, uh, Grenoble sometimes. I mean, you're in that part of the world quite a bit because those those mountains, those Alps, quite often are are put into the route. But yeah, I'm excited for when the Alpe d'Huez gets back in and then I can be like, ah, yes, time for me to break out my expertise of riding that mountain myself. But um, so, Hart, you went back, I believe, to Grenoble. You said a second. Were you there before? Were you there after? I had arrived, I think, after Canada's first game in Montpellier, and there was another game that I think it was maybe the same day that I arrived. So what was what was the vibe like? Being, you know, you didn't have you didn't have a game to cover, and you were just sort of enjoying it. It looked like, um, anyway. So what was it like? Yeah, what was it like for for a game? not involving Canada for once. Did you, did you get to sort of appreciate more? Cause we often sort of chat that, um, we often forget the game entirely. It's all about the atmosphere. Did you actually get to sort of soak it in a little more? I was a little more relaxed. It maybe wasn't a, a huge game for me because it's not the country uh, that I cover. I'm not as familiar with the team. So I remember taking a, a lot of photos because I had just arrived at this beautiful, breathtaking stadium and it was a beautiful, sunny day there. And so I remember taking a lot of, uh, of photos. I think I did a small story uh, off that game just about, you know, the pace and how it's a great opportunity for these two teams. And we're still in the group stage. So I believe it was their second game. And so I remember just kind of taking the sights in and, and oh, there's a football game going on here as well. So, uh, yeah, and it was it was good to just kind of get a look around the stadium and kind of anticipation of that Canada game. Because, as you know, finding the press box, getting your tickets, going through security, if you can do that at a stadium before another game, you know, you really have your leg up, your advantage. So uh, maybe a bit of a scouting uh, expedition for me there. <laughs> and you, 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 you went to all the way to cover New Zealand. I didn't, but um, Tom Sermani, what, you know, I, I have my own thoughts on him because I, I, I know him a little bit from a, we, we've shared a cab once, once in my life. Uh, what was it like working with covering him? Oh, he was obviously so excited. He's so happy and full of life. I think he may have even given me a hug. So uh, yeah, he, he's super friendly. And then we saw him again in the press conference that, maybe the next day or the same day and he remembers you like he remembered me and so he's a good quote he maybe says stuff he shouldn't say which is great for our job so yeah he's super friendly <laughs> and he's he, uh, he's uh, a great guy to cover a great uh, person to talk to he's so friendly and he's perfect for the women's game and, and I'm glad that we kind of got to cover him maybe not the best for result for his his New Zealand side there yeah what have we missed Tara is there anything what, what about Grenoble I remember uh, I had um, a very nice Airbnb. It was kind of like some wood cabin lodge thingy. And I think yeah, kind of had to go up this little ladder to get up to the bed. And so I thought, oh, that's really cute. That's nice. I think it was on the second day. You know, I like to get up. I like to have a nice cup of tea before I head out the door. 
And for some odd reason, I think I blew a fuse in the apartment condo. And I had no idea why, like, the tea kettle and why nothing was working. And so I sent the host a message, and like, this isn't working, and I don't have time to fix this. I have to go to a press conference or a training. So I think they finally sent someone in to fix it while I was gone. It, I think it turned out to be the, the tea maker that was on the fritz. So that's kind of why it went out. And I was, I was not pleased, but I couldn't have tea for the next few days. But yeah, that was a beautiful, that was a beautiful place right in the city center. I remember Neil and Derek dropped me off when we got off the train from arriving in Montpellier. And I didn't realize, that, realize this at the time, but a lot of apartments and condos and Airbnbs in France if you have a suitcase, you best hope that it's small. Because if you have to lug it up five flights of stairs, that's not fun. And my suitcase was as big as me. Uh, as you know, Neil, he volunteered to be my Sherpa throughout the tournament. So he lugged it around for me on the trains and whatnot. But I had to go up these windy, swirly stairs, lugging the suitcase one step at a time. Oh my goodness, I did not anticipate that. <laughs> and it's France, so you know there's there's no tons of people coming to help you or anything. You've got to do it by yourself. Neil, Neil is a gentleman for that. I know he's, uh, he's, he's often, often kind to offer, offer help any way he can. Yes, yes. We, we pay him in Budweiser's. <laughs> what do we think dan yeah i think we've uh we've wrapped up grenoble very well and then had a little uh dish dash as elsewhere as well which is nice that's perfect so hard uh thank you for for joining us and, and allowing me to reminisce a little bit about grenoble now that travel is a maybe on the horizon we can maybe start thinking about something again yeah thank you very much for having me on uh your podcast I'll have to go back to Grenoble one of these days as well and experience all the things that you got to see and do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the indoor market, man. I it was I was lucky. I was staying right near it. But uh, Dan, are you finished your beer? Yeah, it's actually uh, not bad at all. Yeah, and I think it's like um, what percentage is this thing? Eight percent. So it's a little bit pokey. So I can feel it a little bit. It's quite nice. You know, a nice little uh, Tuesday night treat. There you go. Now you go off and have a good evening. Mine, of course, was a lager, so it went right through me. Um, anyway, but Dan, we'll uh, we'll see where we come up with next. As always, everybody, those who do listen, thank you for listening. Okay, thank you.